Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you here. Welcome to part two of Unshakable. It's our summer sermon series on the life of Daniel the prophet. And uh, in Daniel's day, the nation of Israel had fallen into deep, deep uh, spiritual decline. And God was angry with the nation because of their immorality, their injustice, and their idolatry. And he had been talking to them through the prophets of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and some others, and had been warning them, if you don't shape up, you're going to get shipped out to Babylon. And, he, and that's exactly what happened. In, in 586 B.C., God sent the emperor Nebuchadnezzar's army from Babylon, swarmed in like locusts, destroyed the nation of Israel, tore down the capital city, took 25% of the population captive, hauled them back as prisoners of war to the land of Babylon for 70 years. And one of those prisoners of war was Daniel, a 15-year-old teenager. And he never saw his parents, never saw his family, never saw his homeland again. He lived the rest of his life, lived to be 85 in a hostile culture. And at every stage of Daniel's life, as a teenager, in midlife, even in retirement, God tested Daniel. Went through a number of tests. Read this verse with me, Proverbs 17.3. Read it out loud. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And that's what God was doing with Daniel, and that's what God's doing with you. I want you to write this down. It's a life principle you need to understand. Before every blessing, there is always a testing. If God is going to use you, God is going to test you first. He's going to test you to see if you can handle the power, the influence, the insight that he's going to bless you with. And so God will test your integrity. He'll test your loyalty, your faithfulness, your generosity, your humility. God will test your character. And if you pass the test, God will give you more power, more influence, more insight. In fact, God will tell you things he doesn't tell other people. That's just what happens. We see it in the life of Paul. That's why Paul taught so much, why Paul got to write so much of the Bible. Because God spoke to him more than he speaks to you and me. But look at this in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Paul says, we speak God's message because God tested us and trusted us to do it. When we speak, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Circle that phrase, God tested us and trusted us. Daniel's character is tested many, many times, and each time he passes the test, God gives him more power, more influence, more insight. In fact, God tells Daniel stuff that he didn't tell anybody else. Daniel's one of two guys in all of history that God told him how the world's going to end. The other guy is the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. But in Daniel, we find all kinds of visions that God gave him. Daniel predicts stuff in history long before it ever happens. He predicts the, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Islamic Caliphate. I mean, many other things. Why did God show all that to Daniel? Because God tested Daniel and he passed the test. And so write down this principle. God tests us with stress before he trusts us with success. And Daniel's tested many, many times. And every time he passes the test, he gets promoted. And so each week in this series, we're going to look at a different test 
that Daniel faced that you're going to face. Same test. And this week, we're looking at the test of social pressure to conform. When you're pressured to conform to something, you know it's not right. By your boss, by the government, by any authority in your life. How do you pass the test not to conform to a hostile culture? Now, Nebuchadnezzar picks out the smartest, the brightest, the best-looking teenagers and puts them through this three-year indoctrination program. And the goal is to wipe out their memory of Israel, of the Bible, of God. We're going to secularize you. And they teach them a new language, a new culture. They give them new habits, a new religion. They even give them new names. Because their Hebrew names refer to the true God of Israel. Part of their indoctrination is they are now renamed after the pagan gods of Babylon. So Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge. He's renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel, some pagan, phony Babylonian god. Bel protects me. Hananiah in Hebrew means God is gracious. And he's renamed Shadrach. And that's the name of the moon god of Babylon. Mishael in Hebrew means who is like God. Who is greater than God. And he's renamed Meshach. That's a fertility god in Babylon. Azariah in Hebrew means God has helped me. And he's renamed Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo, another pagan Babylonian god. So they give them new names, new identities, new jobs, new clothes, and they even give them a whole new diet. They say, you can't eat your Jewish food anymore. You're only going to eat Babylonian food like the king eats. The king ordered that the young men should eat the same food and wine served at the king's table while they were being trained. After that, they were to become servants of the king of Babylon. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel says, I'm not going to go along with this food program. He said, I'm not going to defile myself with this food. And to defile means to pollute, contaminate, or corrupt. It means a loss of purity. Now, why does Daniel draw the line here with this Babylonian food? And why did Daniel tell the most powerful man in the world, I'm not going to eat your food? What's going on? Well, for Daniel, this isn't just a cultural issue. It's not just a national issue. It is a spiritual issue. Because God wanted the Jews to know that they were, a, they were unique from everybody else on the planet. They're God's chosen people. They're set apart for him. And to help the Jews remember that they are unique and chosen, God gave them very specific dietary laws. We call them kosher laws. And so Daniel thinks, I'm not supposed to eat this stuff because I'm a Jew. It, it's a spiritual attack on Daniel's identity. It's a blatant attempt to reprogram him, to forget God, to forget the values that he had as a kid, to forget his spiritual heritage as a Jew. I mean, they're changing their names, they're changing their identity, they're going to change their diet. You don't get to be Jews anymore, you are Babylonians. And so with this test, Daniel refuses to conform, and he demonstrates four character qualities that God wants you to demonstrate when you face this test as well. 
What are they? On your notes, on the screen. Number one, integrity. Integrity. Daniel never forgot who he was. You can drag me off to Babylon. You can change my clothing. You can even change my name. You can call me whatever you want to call me, but you're not going to change my heart. And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Romans 12.2 says, Don't conform yourself to the values of this world. Instead, let God transform you by a complete change of how you think. Then you will be able to know the will of God. So you've got two choices in this world. You can either be conformed or you can be transformed. You can be conformed and become just like everybody else, or you can become transformed and discover God's will for your life. A lot of times people say, I just can't figure out God's will for my life. Well, maybe it's because you're conformed to the world instead of being transformed by God and discovering your will, his will for you. You, you. you commit to wanting God's best for your life. You'll be transformed, and God will show you his will. You'll have integrity. You won't forget who God made you to be. Second test, discipline. He controlled his ego and his appetite. Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food and wine given to them by the king. I mean, imagine you're a 15-year-old teenager taken by force from your country. You're, you're in a foreign land, no parental supervision, no parental support. And the most powerful man in the country says to you, I'm going to give you power, prestige, and pleasure. You're going to get to live in the palace, and we're going to pamper you with preferential treatment. All you got to do is just conform. Could you withstand that as a teenager, as a young man? I mean, Daniel is incredibly disciplined as a 15-year-old kid without his parents. He says to the most powerful man in the world, I'll serve you because I recognize that God has put me here. I mean, he'd heard what the prophets had been saying. He knew that, yeah, I'm here with God's permission. And so I'll serve you, but I'm not going to be contaminated by you. Romans 6.13, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God because you want to be a tool in the hands of God used for his good purposes. And that's what Daniel wants. He wants to be used by God even in this hostile culture. He wants to be used by God, not used by the world. And so he disciplines his ego and he disciplines his appetite. Amazing. Number three, Daniel also had courage. He was willing to stand alone. I mean, for Daniel to tell the most powerful man in the world, say, you know, I, I, I want to be exempt from your food, uh, your food plan. I mean, this is an insult to the king. Uh, you know, sorry, king, your food isn't good enough for me. Have you ever noticed that people get funny when you reject their food? Seriously, have you noticed that? I mean, I've noticed, you know, I travel to these other cultures and they're always dragging out all this strange stuff and, and I have to be very, very sensitive, very careful because, you know, you tell somebody, I typically don't eat things with eyeballs still in them. <laughs> they get testy. They get testy. It'll happen here. 
You go over to some, you ever been to somebody's house and they offer you something and, and you just don't like it and they're like, here, no, try it, try it. You know, I'm for, I mean, people get testy when you, you are what you eat and so when you reject my food, you're rejecting me. This is real courage on, on, on his part. And what makes it even more courageous is he's not the only Jewish guy in the program and he's got three friends who stood with him but there are lots of other Jewish teenagers who are saying, what's the big, everybody's doing it, what's the big deal? Daniel doesn't care if the whole world does it. If it's not right, he's not going to do it. And he stands with courage. He's willing to stand alone. Because history's proven that the majority is not always right. And just because the majority likes a particular value or a particular law doesn't mean that value or law is right. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. God gets to determine that, not the majority. Exodus 23, 2. Never follow the crowd in doing wrong. And don't be swayed in your testimony in how you live by the mood of the majority. Yet how many times at work, at school, even with family, someone starts talking about a value that you know is flat out wrong and you don't say a word because you're manipulated by the mood of the majority. Daniel had courage. He spoke up. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. And we need men and women of courage today who are willing to stand for what's right. Number four. The fourth test is humility. He was tactful with authority. When Daniel couldn't do what the authority asked him to do, he says, I can't do this. It violates my conscience. It violates my values. Yet he's very tactful with authority. He shows humility. He shows respect for Nebuchadnezzar and for these people who have the rule over him. I mean, he realizes God has placed this pagan leader over him as his ruler. And some of you, some of you have authorities over you. You have bad bosses or bad teachers or bad college professors and God has allowed them to be in your life as an authority and they're going to ask you to do something that violates your values. You've got to know how to deal with that. You've got to know how to make an appeal. Folks, this is a lost skill in our day. We've lost this skill as believers. And that's why, that's why we're so ineffective and that's why our world is so uncivil and, and why there's just all this anger out there. I mean, we've got to learn how to do this. As Daniel asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. He didn't demand his rights. He didn't resist. He didn't rebel. He asked for permission very respectfully. Now, God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. Evidently, Daniel has been doing something that's caught the eye of this official. And he may not have recognized it as God's hand on Daniel's life, but he knew there's something different about this guy. And he had respect for what was going on in Daniel's life. But he said, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who ordered that you eat his food and wine. And if you aren't as healthy as the others, I fear the king will have me beheaded. He says, if you don't eat what the king said to eat, if you're not as healthy as everybody else, <coughs> I mean, it's a legitimate concern on this guy's part. 
So next, Daniel talked it over with the guard appointed to look after Daniel and his three friends. And notice it says he talked it over. He talked. He doesn't make a demand in a belligerent manner. He just talks it over. It's a discussion, not a demand. Daniel offered a suggestion. You see how humble he's being here? Just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Then see how healthy we look compared to the young men eating the king's food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. And what Daniel says here is, look, I don't want you to prepare anything special. I'm not going to put you in any trouble. I just want you to give us some vegetables and water. And we'll eat that. And if, if we're not as healthy as everybody else, uh, then, then the deal's off. If we are, then we get to eat our own food. Daniel's not saying we're going to be vegetarians for the rest of our life. He's saying 10 days, you don't have to go to any trouble. We're not going to eat your food. We're going to eat something else, see if we're, any, if we're healthy. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the others in the king's training program. So after that, the guard let them eat their own food. When the three-year training program was completed, all the young men were brought to King Nebuchadnezzar who talked with each one individually. None impressed the king as much as Daniel and his three friends. So they were each promoted, circle that word promoted, to positions in the king's service. First of five promotions that we're going to see in Daniel's life despite the fact that he never gave up his integrity in a hostile culture. And one of the great lessons that we learn from Daniel is, what do you do when someone in authority asks you to do something that violates your conscience? You need to know how to make an appeal, how to plead your case to an authority. And you need to know this skill because you're going to have to use it. You're going to have to use it with your boss, with the government, with the IRS, with a teacher, with a, you know, a, a a college professor, I mean, somebody's going to give you an assignment that violates your values. And parents, you need to learn this and you need to teach it to your kids. Because as our society gets more and more secular, more and more anti-Christian, people need to know how to make an appeal to an authority. Because we want to be effective. Okay? So Daniel shows us six things that we, can, we, we do in this situation. Number one. Develop a reputation for responsibility. Before you ever make an appeal to your employer or to anyone in authority, you've got to develop a reputation for responsibility. I mean, the chief officer had respect for Daniel. Daniel stood out in that crowd of excellers because he had a good attitude, because he was responsible, he was consistent, he was loyal, he, he had character qualities. Proverbs 22, 29 says, if you do your job well, leaders will notice and you will serve before kings. Listen, people who have great responsibility recognize responsibility in other people because responsibility is a high value. And Christians need to have the best reputation in the workplace. We should be the most responsible employees. We should be the hardest workers. We should be the most trustworthy people. We should be the most consistent. If you go to work and you're a slacker, if you show up late, leave early, take extra breaks, long lunches, you're on the phone to your buddy, you're playing solitaire on the computer, and then your boss asks you to do something and you say, I can't because it violates my values... 
<laughs> I mean, what values? They're not going to pay any attention to you. But if you're the best employee, if you're the most responsible, the most consistent, the hardest worker, they'll listen to you, just like they listen to Daniel. If you want to be the exception, you got to be exceptional. You need to be the best worker wherever you work. Number two, be humble and not belligerent. Be humble, not belligerent, because attitude determines acceptance. You know, this is not a lesson on how to make demands. Daniel's not demanding here. When, when he's told that, that he's got to eat the king's food, Daniel doesn't make a sign that says, I won't eat and start marching around the palace. No, he's not protesting. He's just humbly working behind the scenes to figure this out. Proverbs 25, 6, when you stand before the king, and that's anybody in authority, a teacher, a boss, a judge, don't try to impress him and pretend to be important. You don't show up all puffed up and belligerent. No, you're humble. Be humble or you'll stumble. Number three, don't be deceptive or manipulative. If you've got to make a case with your boss, if you've got to make a case with the government, with the IRS, with a teacher, you just say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. It, it's against my conscience. It violates my beliefs. But you can't lie about it. You can't start making stuff up to strengthen your case by being deceptive or manipulative. God doesn't honor dishonesty. In fact, God says, if you're going to start lying about this, if you're going to be deceptive and manipulative, you're on your own. You're on your own. 2 Corinthians 4.2 We reject all shameful and underhanded methods. We do not try to trick anyone and we do not distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know that. God will honor your honesty. Number four. You appeal to their goals and interests. The Bible says if your goals are good, you will be respected. And this is exactly what Daniel does here, and he's so wise in doing this. You know, he, he recognizes this isn't about the food. This is about the goal. He says, the goal is you want me to be healthy. Well, guess what, king? Guess what, official? I want to be healthy more than you want me to be healthy. It's just a matter, we're just disagreeing on how to get there. And so he says, let's try this 10-day test and, and see if it'll work this way. And if it works, great. You win, the king wins, I win, everybody wins. If it doesn't work, then you decide what we'll eat. But we're going to start with the real goal, not the source of contention, how we get to the goal. Number five, you choose the right place, time, and words. And this is where prayer comes in. Because you just got to pray, pray, pray that God will give you the right place, the right time, and the right words. We see this over and over again in Scripture. Now, what's the right place? Well, it's, it's privately. It's privately. You don't get authorities to change their mind by confronting them in public. It just doesn't work. A public confrontation only solidifies their opposition. Because in public, they can't lose face. They can't back down in public. They can't change their mind in public. And so the more you push them in a town hall or in a public setting, the more they have to dig in. But if you go privately, 
and make your appeal to them, you know, they may not agree with you, but at least they will listen to you. And you know, you got to do it at the right place. You got to do it at the right time. You don't do it in the heat of the moment. You, you don't do it right in the thick of things. You, you, you wait till the timing is right. And then you want to use the right words. You do it in a polite, pleasant, positive way. Proverbs 16.21, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. If you want to be persuasive, you got to be pleasant. Because you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. Okay? So you just got to pray, God, give me the right place, the right time, the right words. And number six, finally, you just have to trust God if they reject your appeal. I mean, in this case, you know, they, they approved Daniel's appeal. It worked. But he made it clear in here that if you reject this appeal, I'll, I'll follow whatever you tell me to do. Okay? Because if your appeal doesn't work, then you just have to hold on to the promise of Romans 8, 28. And it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. Now, this verse does not say that everything is good because it's not. We live in a broken, sinful world. There are bad leaders. There are bad laws. There are bad policies. There are bad people in the world. Everything is not good. But God uses everything for good. But not for everybody. This is a promise for those who love God and trust him to work it out on their behalf. And this is a message. This, this, this how to make an appeal is a message that is desperately needed for every age group. Because as our culture becomes more secular, becomes more hostile to people of faith, more unbiblical, more anti-Christian, the pressure to conform is going to go up and up and up. And we've got to learn how to respond in such a way that God is able to bless our appeal. God is able to bless our life. Pressure to conform, we've got we to deal with that. I, I want to end today with this advice from the Apostle Paul out of 2 Corinthians 6. He says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, that's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are. Each of us is a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them and move into them. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. I'll be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. With promises like this, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Let's pray together. God is looking for men and women 
who are unafraid of challenging our culture. Men and women who are modern-day Daniels, who have the conviction and the character. Rather than caving into the culture, instead of conforming, they're being transformed by God. And God wants to bless those people and give them power and influence and insight and show them his will for their life. And so my challenge for you today is, is will you have the courage to be a Daniel? To be a Daniel in your culture. A man of God, a woman of God who stands for your convictions. And I invite you just to pray, God, I, I want to be a person of integrity, humility, discipline, and courage. God, I want your blessing on my life more than I want the approval of my culture. I, I'm willing to stand unafraid and unashamed. I want to be a Daniel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.